Today's episode of Wings for Breakfast is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend an earned interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to wings.robinhood.com. That's wings.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Breakfast, your twice weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I'm Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Iyer. And we do not have a whole lot of NHL hockey to talk about with only one Red Wing uh, in the All Star game. That was Tyler Bertuzzi. But we do have a fair bit of AHL Griffin's prospect stuff to talk about today. Uh, so I'd love to start there if there's anything that really piques your interest, Prashant. I mean, it's a good place to start, although I think it's worth pointing out the Red Wings have not lost an NHL hockey game in five days. So. That is a that is a strong start for them as they make their uh, quest to finish out strong in the back half. But I think it makes a lot of sense to start over in Grand Rapids because they did play twice since we last recorded, um, getting a couple of games in. And with the All-Star break, the Wings loaned a, a handful of players down there, including Philip Zadina, who had a uh, pretty uh, monumental uh, debut back in Grand Rapids with a couple goals and then an assist on the OT winner. Max, what did you see down there? Because I know you headed to Grand Rapids to watch both those games. Yeah, I saw a lot. It's actually the best that I've seen the almost every prospect this season. So that's, you know, they're, they're hitting their stride at kind of a good time, I guess, because they are really in the thick of a playoff push. They're tied for, technically tied for fourth, but the other team has games in hand. So they're really in fifth in their division. Only two points back, though, of third place if they can, uh, of, of taking over third place, if they can uh, get a little bit of luck elsewhere with, with the team in third having one game in hand, the team in fourth having two. Um, so they're certainly in position where, you know, getting up there into kind of safe playoff position is not unreasonable over the course of the next month to six weeks for them. But they really need some of their young guys to fire on all cylinders. So probably for them, a good sign uh, that Joe Valeno looked quite good. I, I did a story on him for, for Monday in The Athletic involved in a ton of scoring chances, just couldn't get any of them to go. Uh, Michael Rasmussen looked uh, very in control. I thought, you know, his skating still, I don't know that he looks totally comfortable necessarily or back in rhythm, uh, but really just the way that he's possessing the puck, holding off players. He made a great between-the-legs pass uh, at the goal line to Valeno to create one of those chances. I thought he looked quite good. And then Moritz Sider, to me, looked NHL-ready. I think I texted you during the game, just Sider's ready, and I I think he is. I think... uh, he looked in control. Every decision that he was making just about seemed like the right one. It, it was patient. Uh, he was physical. There was one sequence where he threw a hit in a corner, 
skated up the ice, drew in on net all alone, and drew a hooking penalty that led to a power play. So to me, uh, that is an area where I think Moritz Sider at this point, I'd be stunned if he didn't make it up to Detroit at some point. So that's the good news in all of this is that, you know, the prospects in Grand Rapids at least uh, looked about as good as I've seen them this year. Yeah, I mean, the Griffins are riding a hot wave as of late, although the, the loss on Saturday to the goals 3-1 uh, snapped their eight-game point streak. But, I mean, from what I was able to see, I mean, I completely agree, Max. I think uh, everybody looked great uh, on the Friday night game where where the Griffins were able to pull out that 4-3 overtime win. Uh, Zadina, in particular, I thought, a couple of great goals, great plays. I think he had a, he was basically all over the ice, which is what you wanted. Uh, from him in in that game back, just having him go down there, get a couple games and get that experience, continue to dominate. Um, I mean, he looked outstanding. And just with the with the Griffins having uh, eight first round picks in their lineup in that game, I think that was just a really exciting one to watch. And and even though the result on on Saturday wasn't what the Griffins wanted, they lose that game three to one. I mean, they still outshot the goals by uh, a two to one margin. I think shots were like thirty nine to nineteen. And the goals never had more than eight shots in a single period. So even though they didn't necessarily get the result they wanted, they completely controlled the game offensively. Um, so they're really starting to peak. And, you know, it comes back to the the topic that we had at the end of the last podcast where, you know, depending on how, how much the Griffins need these guys, uh, do you leave a handful down here so that they can make that playoff push? Uh, so you have the availability for them to play playoff games or – you know, if you've got guys like Moritz Sider looking ready and Joe Valeno getting close and, and Rasmussen looking in control, at, at some point do you wonder if, if they get a, an extended look in Detroit? Yeah, one of the things that interested me the most in how this was going to go is sometimes when you send guys from the NHL down back to the AHL, you know, especially when an AHL team is rolling like the Griffins were, you you don't know how that's all going to mesh, right? Like you're, you're plugging guys back into a lineup that, ostensibly is working and obviously you know maybe some more skilled players or more advanced players are coming down but are they going to mesh right away are they going to take it 100 percent seriously with Zadina Giovanni Smith and Dennis Chalowski I thought um it worked quite well and so I think that probably speaks positively to the Red Wings ability to maybe maybe the team struggles a little bit if you pull Sider and Rasmussen up or something, or if you alternate a couple of uh, games at third line center for Valeno and Rasmussen in Detroit. But um, it didn't seem to be a problem getting guys back, you know, worked into their rhythm. Zadina hadn't been there in like, you know, playing in like a month. I don't, I think he went a little bit over the holiday break or something like that. But um, there was one point where he went down and played, but uh, he looked great in his in his uh, return on the power play in his usual spot on the right circle, causing havoc, tipped a tip, tipped a puck in for a goal, uh, and I think that probably speaks positively to the Red Wings' ability to call a guy up and know that um, it doesn't seem like that Griffin's lineup is going to be majorly disrupted by little changes like that. Yeah, I think that was a really encouraging piece, and I think that's a that's a great point to, that you make there, Max, and in particular with. Uh, guys like Valone and Rasmussen potentially being duplicative in what they would do in Detroit, you could potentially stagger these call-ups. And if you're envisioning that, hey, there's four or five guys I think you want to see in Detroit at some point uh, between, well, actually, I'm going to make it six. There's six guys I would want to see in Detroit between now and the end of the season. And I think potentially you want to see Valeno and Rasmussen. And however you do that, I think those two could easily be staggered. Ideally, you want to get another look at both Svechnikov and Taro Hirose, 
who has you know really been putting up the point totals in Grand Rapids and is starting to find uh, I think his game a little bit again the biggest issue is can he do that at the speed of the NHL which I'm not certain of but I think you need another look at both Hiroshi and Svechnikov and again those are guys you could conceivably stagger if you want to and say I'm going to take a first look at Svechnikov leave Hiroshi down there and then flip that uh flip the script you know after a handful of games and then I think you need to see both Sider and Chalowski uh back in back in Detroit and it'll be interesting to see I think you probably pull one over the other I think Chalowski got tabbed first uh most recently before this all-star break and now after the all-star break maybe you give Chalowski a couple more games before you you swap them back and you go with Sider, neither player or neither Chalowski nor any of the other guys are really in danger of approaching that need to clear uh, waivers. So I think you're you're reasonably able to do do this however you want, but I think maybe staggering it might be the best way to keep both teams competitive. I'd agree with that, and I'd also add Gustav Lindstrom into that mix. He actually was scratched for both of these games. I, I forgot to ask if that was a healthy or not. That's on me. Um, but you know, I, I think he's a guy who, based on what the Red Wings uh, player development staff has been saying this year, is a guy who I would be very interested to see in how he adjusts to the NHL level. I think he maybe su- surpassed their expectations a little bit for what they thought he might do in his first AHL year. I think they were pleased with how he kind of took to the small ice and how his hockey sense translated to those conditions. So that'd be another guy who I think would be interesting to see at the NHL level before season's end. Specifically on Hiroshi, I think it's really interesting because he's a guy who you watched him this weekend on the power play and he absolutely dominated on the power play, but you didn't notice him a ton at even strength. Now for these Red Wings, uh, when you look at their power play too, to me, you might as well, right? Like I'm I'm sure that there's some even strength uh, areas of his game. They want him rounding out, Uh, but with the players that right now they're putting on their second power play unit. Uh, I think that it's probably worth giving Hiroshi a look fairly soon just because you're missing that element on the second power play right now. Uh, and I think he would be a, a nice piece to add in there. You know, he really runs that unit. They, they basically are running set plays uh, and Hiroshi, no, almost no matter what, is the one distributing. So uh, to me, that he's a guy who I think makes a lot of sense uh, in the power play role. I, I, I'm still curious to see if he can make some more progress to be kind of a more complete even strength player. But at, at minimum, I got to think that with, with how good he looks on an AHL power play right now, um, there's got to be some way to get him onto the worst team in hockey uh, for their second power play. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a really interesting point because when you look at Hiroshi and you, you just pull his raw stats, he's got 18 points in 21 games, looks excellent, but eight of those points are on on the power play, you know, to your point there, Max. And with seven assists, he's actually fourth on the Griffins despite only playing 21 games down there. He's behind just Hicketts, Pumple, and Terry. Um, and so it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because conceivably, like when you're constructing your power play at the NHL level, it is your highest skilled guys. And if... You're talking about a guy who, sure, he's got this talent level, he's got the skill set to be very successful at the AHL level, but if he's not one of the the eight most talented forwards on your roster, I don't know that you can necessarily hand him a power play spot, even though it is the worst worst team in the NHL. I mean, I think there's eight forwards that are potentially higher skilled than, than Taro Hirose in Detroit right now that I think would are better suited to play on that power play. So... I think even if you bring him up, you want to bring him up with him having some success at even strength. And the interesting thing is the criticism of Hiroshi here 
struggling to make an impact at, at even strength is very similar to the criticism of Michael Rasmussen when he was drafted. Uh, a lot of people said he had he was making very little impact uh, at even strength, and because of his size at the you know at the CHL level, he was absolutely dominating special teams and racked up a sizable chunk of his his goals were on on special teams. And so I think Rasmussen has certainly evolved to a certain extent this season although we've seen him only in very limited action. But Hiroshi's a guy where if he's not making a substantial impact at even strength in the AHL, I don't know that I can necessarily bring him up. And with him not being one of the nine best forwards I've got, uh, hand him a power play spot. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of the rub. So I'm not going to say he's been like bad at even strength, it just but you notice him disproportionately on the power play like he's the guy they run the whole power play through it seems right. like so i think you know when when you look at his chances there's little passes that he makes at, at all strengths that i that i think stand out but um it's, it's still the power play dominant and, and i agree i think that you'd have a tough time giving him deployment you know above really the third line on these red wings and maybe that does mean you shouldn't now that said i think you could make a good case that if you called hiroshi up he's on your power play over philpola right you know, that's the thing. Like, I I think they're both very similar-minded players. I don't necessarily have a problem trialing Hiroshi against Filpola, or over Filpola, I should say. But, you know, again, Valtteri Filpola is a guy who's another high-IQ hockey player who's been doing this a long time at the NHL level and has been a little bit more successful than Hiroshi. I think if you're thinking about the future of this team, and again, you want to put these guys in, in positions to showcase themselves, then... I think it does make sense to trial Hiroshi, um, potentially over Philpolo in that regard. But, you know, outside of outside of Philpolo, I think you're kind of grasping in terms of getting him into that unit. But, you know, he that's what you want him to be, is that Philpolo-type player, that setup player. I just don't know if I would want to run a power play through him at the NHL level, just thinking about it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. I mean, that's basically the decision the Red Wings are going to have to be making on him. Um, it wouldn't stun me if he doesn't get that look, but I just think uh, for a team that, that has a power play struggling as much as theirs are, it's a situation where maybe you might break convention a little bit for that look. But but I think the other guys probably have more compelling cases. And like I said, to me, uh, I think Moritz Sider looks NHL ready. Yeah. And, and Sider's a guy that I think you and I have said this a number of times by the end of the season, he needs to have played 10 games in Detroit, and that, that first year of his contract needs to be burned because he's looking just he's, – he's basically excelled at every level he's played this season. He excelled at the World Juniors. He's a minute cruncher. He is very, very good in his own zone. He's very good in the offensive zone. He's finding his game um, through the transition. I just think he's going to be a difference maker, and he's a guy you're going to want to get locked up on the earlier side. Yeah, and I agree with that. I'm I'm curious to see what the Red Wings' uh, direction is on that decision. I'm I'm not sure that we have a great idea yet of how Steve Eiserman would prefer to handle situations like that. So um, that's definitely to me one of the main storylines for these last 31 games in the NHL is when does Mort Sider come up? How long does he stay up? Uh, and what does that tell us about the the management style of this current Red Wings front office? Uh, the other guy who we haven't talked about who I think you'd have made fun of me if I hadn't brought up, is Chase Pearson, who scored a goal uh, and looked, I think, pretty good shorthanded. I'm not sure he's a guy who is immediately NHL-ready, but I continue to think this is a guy who at some point is going to carve out a role for himself uh, in, in that, on that fourth line in a, in a penalty-killing role. Yeah, I completely agree. I was actually getting ready to make fun of you for not saying anything about <laughs> Chase Pearson, so uh, you, you got ahead of it there. 
I have no problem with this guy slotting in over a guy like Christopher N. Uh, I think obviously in in that fourth fourth line role, the Wings have traditionally preferred the more defensive minded center. That's why the call ups have always been Dominic Turgeon, Christopher N. Uh, they've had you know the defensive guy slotted in there for years with Luke Glendening, Franz Nielsen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Chase Pearson's a, a different type of player, and I I think he can bring something, maybe a little bit of that speed and skill, particularly if you're playing Giovanni Smith down there. I think those are two guys that could work really well in a completely different type of fourth line, one that can hit you more with speed and relies less on maybe that innate positioning where you think you're supposed to be and more of a a player that's going to get after you get on the forecheck really press these guys almost what the wings fourth line used to look like years ago back when they were winning the stanley cup when you had a young guy like darren helm who was cruising on that fourth line and he was all over the place and he was making people pay uh back in 2008 2009 when he was able to to play everywhere for them so I don't have any problem with Chase Pearson being that guy where if you're not satisfied with what Christopher N's given you, which again, Christopher N, I like the guy. He's a he's a decent player, but he doesn't he doesn't move the needle for this hockey team in any direction. Uh, you might as well give a shot to a guy like Chase Pearson. I think it's interesting because when you look at Pearson, you know, you see kind of the the penalty killer mold, but this is a guy who has scored a little bit at the college level, and I think he has one specific trait, uh, which is net front ability that I think now, does it... Does that matter on these Red Wings? I don't know because they've got some pretty good net front guys in the pipeline. Um, but Chase Pearson's a guy who who I think has a couple of offensive traits that uh, maybe could give him that kind of edge. There's really two plays that I saw from him this weekend that I want to highlight. The first was the shorthanded goal that I'm sure most people have seen by now on Twitter. But he really kind of took it coast to coast from his own end. Uh, he was one-on-one with a defender and made a nice move around him, then beat the goalie. Um, that was a really nice play and a sign that he can, he can add a little bit of that offense. The second second one, which I think the kind of play that's actually going to get him to the NHL, was in a long board, board battle in the kind of left corner of the offense. He He's able to kind of emerge from that scrum with the puck, but not in like a clean way necessarily. He gets it in his basically between his feet, and then he flips a backhander across the zone to a wide open Joe Valeno. I think if you can do that uh, on, on this in this organization right now, uh, that's going to get you far because they need a guy who can win a battle, but also make a play out of it, not just come out of the play uh, or come out of the scrum and then you're still in traffic with the puck. So to me, those were the two plays that stood out uh, from Chase Pearson this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I, with plays like that, he's certainly offering you much more of an offensive upside relative to, to Christopher N. And given that that fourth line plays maybe eight, nine minutes a night for the Wings right now, I see really little downside to subbing in uh, Chase Pearson for Christopher N and letting him play you know, with Justin Abdelkader and Giovanni Smith, and maybe you get a little bit more speed and creativity from that fourth line, um, you know, relative to what's basically been dead minutes for the Wings for most of the season. Yep. Now, I will say, looking at it, I, I believe Pearson's got 13 or 14 points in 41 or 42 games for the Griffins this year, and did have 17 and 50 for Fralunda. Uh, and he, in the AHL, he's, he's got seven and 17 last year uh and they're of pretty similar age and is 23 i think pearson might be 22 uh so that's actually comparable statistical production 
So, uh, you know, maybe maybe it doesn't translate, but I do think there's a couple of specific tools. I think N's a better skater, but I think Pearson may be uh, a little finer with the stick work and, and maybe a little more naturally physical. So that's what you're weighing in a decision like that. I do think that's kind of the level of player we're talking about here. But the question is, could there be a little bit more offense uh, one way or the other? So that's kind of a feel for that. I think, you know, when we're talking about these guys, we are still talking about bottom of the lineup players. So I don't think anyone should be going to get over the moon uh, or, or be going over the moon about it. But um, I think that it's an interesting conversation. Is there any other guys in GR who we should hit on before we move on a little bit? No, I think uh, you pretty well summed it up there. I think, honestly, the biggest thing to watch for moving forward is how the organization chooses to treat these recent draft picks. Because fundamentally for years, when you watch the Wings under Ken Holland, this was a team that was going to overseason overripe in their prospects we were not going to move them too quickly even if they could have helped the active team right now so this is this is going to be an interesting uh last few months of the season here to see what steve eiserman does with moritz cider i think in particular yep absolutely all right let's uh breeze through the all-star weekend quickly because the red wings did have a player there tyler bertuzzi Played for Team Atlantic, who made the final, lost by a goal. Uh, he participated in the accuracy shooting. Anything really stand out to you about his uh, his weekend as a whole? No, I thought he looked, he fit right in. I mean, hey, f- for the Atlantic team, he had a goal and four assists. I mean, you could have made an argument that if he scores maybe one more goal and the Atlantic beats the Pacific, he could have been in line for, like, All-Star Game MVP. Uh, I thought he had a really good chemistry with Anthony Duclair in the three-on-three um, tournament and they looked kind of really good together moving the puck and so I mean he fit right in he's he's able to just move that skill set up and down the lineup like you said a while back Max so he he's an excellent player and then honestly he did quite well in the accuracy shooting as well he came in fifth there and even in the breakaway challenges he scored a couple of times so overall he he fit right in with the rest of the with the rest of the league's all-stars yeah, and I think probably good for him to, to have that kind of showing. I'm not saying that the All-Star game is necessarily the, the bright lights, the big stage when it comes to actual like meaningful hockey, uh, but it is still a very public event, national uh, audience. So, you know, good for him to kind of show his game to people who maybe don't understand why he was, didn't understand why he was an All-Star when that happened. I understand that, uh, you know, when a guy like Brad Marchand is not on the team, uh, people start looking for for who whose spot he should take, and I understand all that. But Tyler Bertuzzi did have a very good season, has become a very good hockey player, and uh, it's good for him to get to show that off a little bit. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, uh, you had a fun event for us that we wanted to do off All Star, though more so than any of the recapping. So, do you want to lay that out here real quick? Yeah. So basically, All Star Weekend is is not super exciting because the NHL hasn't really done a ton of stuff with it. So Max and I are going to do our own version of the all-star events, but what we're going to do is we're going to take the events and we're going to actually take Red Wings players from any point in history and we're going to utilize those players in the specific events. And the way it's going to work is Max and I can draft any player that's ever put on a Red Wings jersey. We're going to put them in the, in the different skills competition events that just happened this weekend. So that's going to be fastest skater. Uh, we'll take a goalie for the save streak. We'll take a player for the accuracy shooting, hardest shot, shooting stars. We can't repeat any player in there. So, for example, I couldn't take, uh, you know, Pavel Datsuk to do accuracy shooting and shooting stars. You can only take one player for each. And once you take that one player, that player is off limits for the rest. And then afterwards, we'll play the three-on-three game where Max and I will each take 
two lines of forwards. They're taking two four or taking total four forwards, two defensemen, and one goalie for a three-on-three game. And then we'll kind of leave it up to you guys in terms of who thinks uh, would which person's teams and skills competition uh, players would actually win the overall event. Um, so Max and I are going to trade off picking here. We'll start with the first event being fastest skater. And I put Max on the clock right before we started this podcast. So I know for the last 25 minutes, Max has been thinking about who he's going to pick for fastest skater. So one quick quick clarifier here before we start. Are the players who we choose for the skills competition, is that comprise the complete set of player pool we can choose from for the three-on-three? Or is that a no? You can take any. You can still reach well outside of there. Anybody who's put on a Red Wings jersey for three on three. Okay, so fastest skater, I got to take the record holder, right? I mean, that would be pretty silly to not take Dylan Larkin. That's fair. And honestly, I was I was curious if you're going to take Dylan Larkin or if you're going to go with Andreas Athanasiu, given how fast we know he is. But for me, I I can't pick anybody other than Sergey Fedorov. He, in his own right, won a uh, fastest skater competition. Although when when Fedorov won it, I don't believe it was the same course that Larkin skated. But I think if anybody's got a chance, I'm going to take Fedorov and the white Nike skates, and I'm going to see I'm going to see if he can catch Dylan Larkin. All right, fair enough. I'm generally of the mind that players and people get faster, stronger, all those things as time goes. So if my answers skew a little uh, newer here, that is not just because. I've only covered the team for a couple years, but it is partly because of that still. Uh, You get the first (laughs) pick on save streak. All right. This is the easiest one I'm going to pick, although you have to take Dominic Koshik in the save streak. I I just can't imagine anybody being able to consistently score on him when you have no idea how he's going to make the save. Yeah, I know. I wanted to be able to take Koshik because he seems like the most obvious answer, too. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm going to take Chris Osgood. Is that a fair pick? That's a fair pick. I mean... uh, Osgood in the bucket is gonna. We'll see if he can get you some saves here. This is one where, like, I'm sure a lot of people would want me to take Vernon or Terry Sawchuk, but again, this goes back to I gotta think. Just you know, the style those goalies played in is wholly different from the modern game, and Osgood has that blend of uh, of of recent enough that I still think he's gonna edge those guys. Hey, I mean Osgood. If you go back to the his one of his last seasons, the 08 uh, playoffs and then the 09 playoffs. I mean, Osgood should have won the Consmite Trophy in 09 if the Wings were able to beat the Penguins that year. He was that good, and that was a, a very tough opponent they played in Pittsburgh. And, and along the way, they're the opponents they had to go through in Chicago and a couple of other teams. I mean, he had an outstanding uh, one of, uh, last season or last postseason run uh, with Detroit. So it's it's not a it's not a bad pick by any stretch. Although I think some people will pick on you for not taking Sawcheck. Yeah, but again, I'm going to stand by that. I, totally different era. We're playing by today's rules. I don't know that that that's going to be uh, – I, I, I would stand firm on that hill. Fair enough. All right, then who are you taking for accuracy shooting? Well, I thought long and hard about Martin Furk here for the entertainment value <laughs> of, of it all. Uh, I am going to go with Iserman. Because I think uh, one of the iconic plays is that shot from the blue line that he managed top corner. Uh, I think that speaks to a, a high degree of accuracy shooting. And uh, I don't really know that much about some of the older players. So that's uh, that's my decision-making process. That's fair enough. I think Steve Eiserman's a pretty solid choice. Honestly, when I was thinking about accuracy shooting, if you go back just over the last 30 years or so, so basically my lifespan of being, of being a Red Wings fan, 
guys like the guys that jumped out at me were three guys. It was Johan Franzen, it's Anthony Mantha, and then it's Brendan Shanahan. And if you go back and actually look at Shanahan's stats in the All-Star games, I think the guy has won three accuracy shooting competitions. Like he's right up there with Ray Bork in terms of going for that accuracy. And I think one year he went four for five. Uh, so four, he hit four targets on five shots. So I'm going to have to trust the stats and just go with Brendan Shanahan for, for accuracy shooting. All right. Uh, and then you got the next one, which is the hardest shot. So, I mean, I could go with Martin Furk who just set an, I think all of hockey record with a 109.2 mile per hour slap shot, uh, which is faster than anything Shea Weber has done and faster than anybody's ever done at the AHL. He just did this in the AHL All-Star game. But I'm going to set Martin Furk aside just because while he while he did don the Red Wings jersey, he wasn't, he wasn't someone that really held that sentimental value for me. Um, the guy who I thought just had an absolute cannon of a shot from the point, uh, unfortunately his time got cut short with the Wings, was Yuri Fisher. Uh, and so for me, he was just a – he had an excellent, excellent shot – great defenseman when he let that thing go i mean it seemed like a rocket at times i'm sure it was nowhere near as fast as anything martin Furks put up but in terms of difficult shot to stop i mean i think he's right up there the only other guy that i've really considered is uh is brett hall who i'm certain could have put some uh mphs on there but for me i'm gonna leave it with uh with um yuri fisher all right that's fair enough I'm not going to let sentimentality get in my way, though. I'm taking Martin <laughs> Furk, the pro hockey hardest shot record holder. I don't know, man. I just Something about me thinks that number was juiced. I don't care if it's juiced by four miles an hour. I think I'm still, at that point, getting 104.2, which would have been like third place in the NHL this year. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Because, you know, I wasn't really sure what they were doing. I wasn't sure if it was like the NHL when, uh, I guess, McKinnis took the shot to open up the right. ceremony and then they put up 100.4 and then later they were saying no that wasn't actually like how fast that shot was going that was just McKinnis's fastest shot ever but I don't know man it's just when I watched Yuri Fisher wind up and shoot the puck that that thing just looked like a rocket to me and I just remember Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond used to talk about that shot all the time when he was coming up so I don't know I just I wish I could have seen some miles per hour on it but I mean it, yeah you're right I, I did ignore the data here of Martin Furt going for almost 110 miles an hour. That, folks, is what we call statistical discipline. You know, you just, you can't, you know, I deviated from it there, and it's probably <laughs> going to come back to bite me. All right, Max, so then uh, the, the newest contest, the shooting stars, where they're basically elevated above the fans, and they're trying to hit targets that are down on the ice. Who are you taking to be your shooting star? This is the one that I've wrestled with the most, because on the one hand... After everything that we have seen Philip Peronik do this year, saucering pucks, the full ice, uh, into the open net, he seems like a really compelling option. But I'm also going to say that I think Pavel Datsuk's stick control would be such an incredible asset in this competition, and I just cannot imagine a skills competition that neither you or I drafts him, that I am going to go with Pavel Datsuk here. Uh, well, all right. That was going to be my pick because there was nobody who could saucer a, a puck better than Pavel Datsuk, at least that I've been able to see. Um, honestly, for those of you that remember back when the NHL uh, was debuting some other all-star events, one of them they did was 
they actually took some mini nets and they put them on the ice and they would have different players try to sauce pucks over obstacles into to the mini nets and Datsuk was just so so good at it watching him Joe and Joe Thornton go back and forth was an absolute treat so if you're gonna take Pavel Datsuk then I'm gonna dial it back a little bit further and actually go with Igor Larionov who I think was another guy that was just a truly exceptional passer uh, had great touch on the puck for me if you'd set Datsuk aside I'm between Igor Larionov and Slava Kozlov who was another guy who had great touch on the puck both those guys always knew where everybody was on the ice. They were able to make great passes, great playmakers. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Larry Onoff there. All right, fair enough. Uh, so maybe you guys can have to tell us who's who's gonna win that uh, All Star event. So there's what five categories there. So give us uh, when you hear this, give us your review for who's gonna win that competition, Team Team Max or Team Prashanth. And now we can draft the three-on-three game. I guess you get first pick in this one because uh, I got more first picks in that competition. All right, so if I'm taking the first pick here, the first the first guy I'm taking is Dominic Hasek. Okay, I'll take Datsuk. All right, fair enough, because uh, that's who I was going to take next. So uh, I will take Sergei Fedorov. All right, I will take Iserman. Okay. That, that makes sense. Then I should probably take Gordy Howe to play on the wing with Fedorov. That would be lots of fun. You think that's going to translate to three-on-three? Three? Oh, that's totally going to translate to three-on-three, three, especially because the first time someone uh, doesn't take the right step on your, your eyes, Gordy Howe's going to lay him out in the middle of the ice, and it's going to be great. He's going to force that turnover, and then Fedorov's going to pick up the puck. It's going to be wonderful. I'll take Lidstrom. Okay. I figured that was your natural next pick there. Um, so if you've taken Nick Lidstrom, then let's see. If I'm going to reach back and take a defenseman, i probably got to go with Red Kelly, another excellent puck-moving defenseman. Okay. I will take Zetterberg. Zetterberg. All right. Are you trying to go for like a little uh, Datsuk and Zetterberg kind of action there? I'm just trying to win, man. Just trying to win? Not going for team chemistry or anything along those lines. I'm just trying to figure out what your strategy is. I mean, I think those guys all have chemistry, but... That's fair. Yeah, I mean, they actually all played on the same team at one point in time, so that's fair enough. Uh, Okay, let's see. Well, I'm probably going to need another center here, so I'm going to go and take uh, Alex Delvecchio. I will take... Cronwall. Nick Cronwell. All right. Just trying to play with the uh, 2007 or 2005 Red Wings then. I'm just trying to win, man. All right. I mean, the 05-06 Red Wings, they won 60, or 58 games. That's not a bad team to play with. Um, I, I thought about Konstantinov there, but I wanted well, to round out my defense, and I thought that, uh, you know, Cromwell again, just a little bit more in the modern era. Well, you know, thankfully you didn't take Konstantinov because that's who I was going to take. Because having Vladimir Konstantinov in three-on-three is going to be simply unfair. The dude was just way too smart. All right, that's fair. Uh, And then for my last pick... Now, you got got two two more picks. picks. You got to take a goalie at some point. Yeah, but I don't have to take it immediately because you took yours early. So I I can wait till the very end. Uh, That's a little uh, fantasy smart. So I'm sure our producer, Chris Meany, will appreciate uh, (laughs) my strategy here. Um, Oh, man, another forward... Marion Hosa? 
Oh, man, that's a very solid pick. And I have no idea how that name popped into your head at the exact same time it popped into my head. Because I was like, oh, Marion Hosa would be great in three-on-three because he's such a good back checker, such a good uh, shooter as well. So that's a, that's a bummer. All right, I feel like I need a little bit of team speed here. So I'm going to I'm gonna go modern day. I'm going to go for the fan vote. I'm going to take Dylan Larkin to, to get a little bit of team speed on, on the ice. All right. And then for goalie, I mean, I think I've already kind of tipped my hand here. I guess I'm going to take Chris Osgood. All right. Then I'm shooting from center ice on you. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. So uh, I guess to, to rattle it off, Max has got Datsuk, Iserman, Zetterberg, and Marion Hosa up front. He's got Nick Lidstrom and Nicholas Cronwall on the back end. And in net, he's got Chris Osgood. So effectively a mix of the 2005-2006 Red Wings with a little bit of the 2008-2009 Red Wings. And then I've got uh, up front, I've got Sergei Fedorov, Dylan Larkin, Gordie Howe, and Alex Delvecchio. And then on the back end, I've got Red Kelly and Vladimir Konstantinov. And in net, I've got Dominic Hasek. So... Once you guys hear these teams, let us know who's going to actually round out and win this all-star tournament here because I've got to say, like, I, I like Max's strategy of sticking to just a five-year period of the Red Wings history, but I don't know if that's a little too limited there. They're all going to play the same style. I don't know how you think Dylan Larkin is going to mesh with Red Kelly and Alex Del Vecchio, but I guess that's the bet you're making. And uh, I think my guys are all going to be faster than your guys. I don't know, man. We just took Larkin and Fedorov to be our two fastest skaters, and I just have both those guys on my team. If I start overtime with them, I don't know that anybody's going to get the puck from them. I'm going to win the faceoff, so. Uh, fair enough, right, because you've, you've got all the faceoff guys. <laughs> oh, man, well, that's a good exercise in uh, All-Star. I think that was a lot more entertaining than most of the All-Star game festivities. So let us know what you think. Let us know who's going to win the skills competition and who will win the three-on-three game. Absolutely. Uh d- so we, we called for questions earlier. Did any of them really jump out at you? I, I got a couple in mind, but wanted to see if there were any you wanted to uh, get, get with off the bat. I will let you steer on this one. All right, so this one I think is pretty topical. It's from uh, our friend Beer League Chump, who says, how many games will the Red Wings win in March and April? He, he sent a little screenshot of the schedule. I, I can read it out loud. I think that'd probably be helpful. Uh, it's Colorado, Chicago, Tampa, Carolina, Washington, Tampa, Florida, Arizona, Vegas, Boston, Philly, Washington, St. Louis, Toronto, Tampa, St. Louis, Toronto, Tampa. Oh, wow. Oh, wait, sorry. I double counted that St. Louis, Toronto, Tampa. But that's still that. So just take out the last three of it. But yeah. Huh. Is there, I mean, is there one team with a losing record? Not a losing Ch- record. No, I mean, but I don't Chicago's think Chicago's probably the closest. Philly, Oh, Chicago uh, I mean, probably has a losing record. Yeah, I think I think maybe you win two games. No, you can't even win two games. You're winning one game. I don't game. think so. I don't know I, that you're winning a game. I mean, I, I, this was in my bold predictions at the start of the season that March is murderer's row. Like, you could, you could beat Chicago, but Chicago is still in the playoff hunt. They have a winning record by the NHL's calculation, but on the whole have lost more games than they've won when you consider overtime. But, like... Some of the worst teams in that 
accounting for are the Flyers and the Maple Leafs. And the Maple Leafs crushed the Red Wings earlier this year. So, man, it's a murderer's row. I think, I don't know, I don't think you're winning a game in that whole stretch. I think you're going to, I think you're going to win one game. Although win is a strong word. This might be a moral victory. Because I, I mean, the more I look at this, I'm going, there's a legitimate chance you may not even record a point. Like, that would be unbelievable. You're going to have to catch Chicago sleeping on a Friday night game that happens to be Moritz Sider's NHL debut or something like that. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about potentially like 15 consecutive losses, if I just counted that correctly. This it's, is It's a, a murderer's wow. row. All right. Well, just what the Red Wings needed. They needed the schedule to get a little bit harder for them. So, you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's uh, you've been waiting for it to finally be a challenge, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was it had been mostly a cupcake uh, through the first half of the season, but here it's really been stepped up. Yep, absolutely. All right, Eamon O'Flynn is another one. Uh, he says, given Jim Rutherford's comments today in the Athletic about wanting a top six winger, you should go read that story. Who can play straight line with speed? Know anyone who fits that description? What are the odds Andreas Athanasiu could be heading to Pittsburgh? And if he is traded, would you rather see Casey DeSmith or Matt Murray as a potential return? Ooh. So, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that, I mean, if anywhere is going to get the most out of Andreas Athanasiu, I think it's absolutely Pittsburgh because you put him on a line with either Crosby or Malkin, and he's instantly protected because his team is playing with the puck. Like, the other team is not playing with the puck when you've got those two guys out there. So I think that's a perfect scenario that if you are going to deal Athanasiu, I think one, it's out of the division. Two, it's to a team that's going to maximize his ability. And and three, I mean, he he's probably going to score like crazy over there. Um, you know, if you're going to pick between the two, I, it, I don't know that I necessarily want a goaltender as a return for Andreas Athanasiu, uh, particularly... If it's going to be a guy like Matt Murray, who's already, I mean, he's already, I think, 26 now, um, or will be 26 in, in just by the end of the season. So I don't know he's, if he's a guy I want to commit trading Andreas Athanasiu for. I think I'm a little hit or miss on on if he is truly the, the reason that Pittsburgh was successful or if it was a little bit of a, uh, a lucky stretch. Um, for the first couple of years with him breaking into the league. So I'm a, I'm a little skeptical. I'm not 100% sold on, on him in a deal like that. I think if you are going to make a deal like that, uh, potentially you try and get a guy like Alex Galchenyuk, who hasn't necessarily worked out in Pittsburgh the way they were hoping, similar you know similar age to Athanasiu, but has the ability to play a little bit of center, and potentially he could revitalize his career Um in Detroit, I think if that's the swap that you can make, I think that makes a lot more sense than a goaltender. But if I'm hamstrung to a goaltender, I think I, I would take Murray over Smith. I mean, one of the big takeaways that I had out of that Jim Rutherford story is Rutherford seeming willing to put the first-round pick on the table. I don't think Andreas Athanasiu is going to draw a first-round pick offer on his own. 
but is there a way for you to create a package like retaining all of his salary or taking back a contract from Pittsburgh or throwing in a, a different pick and a swap where you could get that first round pick? Uh, my guess is no, but I thought that was one of the most notable things is him saying, if I have to trade the pick, I will consider it. Yeah, that's honestly what the Wings need to be looking to add is with the depth in this year's first round, uh, you want to have as many first round picks as you're potentially able to. I mean, Pittsburgh doesn't have too many bad, bad contracts. I think the worst one right now is is probably the Brandon Tano deal that's going out for a handful of years at three and a half million dollars. But you know, and he's played pretty that, well for them this yeah, year. Yeah, and he's playing well. It's just it's it's likely going to age poorly. Obviously, Jack Johnson has struggled for a long time, and they still have him for three more years. That is certainly a deal you do not want to touch. I think if it's coming beyond that, if you need to take salary from them, you ask about Nick Bustad, who, when healthy, has been great, but has not been healthy for long stretches um, over the last season plus. So if they're looking to offload money, that's potentially it. Uh, Beyond that, Galchenyuk was a name I threw out because his contract's up at the end of the season. Uh, he's got $4.9 million was his most recent deal. I think he's a guy who's not in line for a huge raise because of the struggles he's had this year. And so potentially he's a guy that makes a lot of sense in that swap if you're not able to, to get Pittsburgh's first rounder. But if not, I'm also comfortable parting ways with a guy like Chalowski if you need to, to make that first pick happen. That was what I was going to say is there's got to be some kind of package that, that makes it work. Now, maybe Pittsburgh wants to make multiple moves or something. That's where you take a Galchenyuk back, something like that. But I don't think a Galchenyuk for Athanasiu swap straight up makes much sense for the Red Wings. I don't, I don't know that I even see Galchenyuk as a better player than Athanasiu. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that he is. I think it'd, it'd mostly be a trading scenarios and hoping yeah. that it goes better for one or both of those guys. That is a deal where you're hoping to win it, but you're not coming out ahead at the time of the deal. I think at that, the time of the deal, at best, you're saying these are two roughly equivalent players of the same age who basically need a different situation to play in. So that would be a that would probably be a less than ideal scenario as opposed to the Wings getting Pittsburgh's first round pick. And I don't think they're going to be eager to trade a guy like Bugstad or Tanev because the whole point that they're uh you know, of their wanting to add is they think they can win it this year. If if, if both of those guys are healthy and contributing, um, I think those guys are part of their path to winning. So uh, if they need to clear some cap, though, the Red Wings could take like that Galchenyuk contract just just because I don't see Galchenyuk being much of a factor for them at this point. So, uh, but I think the the asset you want is the pick, and if you, if failing that, then maybe you start to look at someone like a Casey DeSmith. Fair enough. All right, uh, moving on to the next ones. Uh, someone asked about Jenna Fisher. What do you think of, of her as potential coach? I mean, it's, it's obviously a joke, but uh, let's indulge it. Jenna Fisher is coach of the Red Wings. I mean, if we're relating this back to her character in the office, Pam could never commit to anything. That was very well said. No, no intensity, I believe, is is what Oscar says at some point in her in her painting. So, no, I wouldn't want that person behind my bench uh, as a head coach with with those kind of qualities, but. All in all, I thought St. Louis did a great job bringing a lot of those um, local celebrities out. I mean, Jenna Fisher's very publicly, you know, stated she's from St. Louis. They, when they were in the finals last year against the Bruins, I thought uh, the back and forth between her and John Krasinski was great. But no, I mean, I'm a huge Office fan. I absolutely love uh, everything that they've collaborated on and done. And sure, I mean, if uh, it, it probably doesn't make the team any worse this year, right? Playoff experience. 
been to a championship game. I'm just saying there's a resume. That's fair. I mean, that that's totally fair. Um, you know, that's instantly more than what the Wings have right now. Cody asks, do you think the Red Wings will be better next year or are they in for another season as painful as this current one? He says it'd be hard to get worse, but what is the what are the what are our individual early predictions for next season? So you can go first. Yeah, this is this is the money question. And honestly, one of the things I was sitting and doing this weekend was I was sketching out what are the stages of a rebuild and you know, trying to see if you could concretely define what are the different stages a team must go through to progress all the way from you know, where the wings are right now to where you want to be, which is that sustainable and consistent championship contender. And so I think right now with the way the wings are and, and what they need to accomplish, I don't know that next season is marginally better than this season. You have the opportunity to clear a lot of contracts, um, but at the same time, those players that are you're clearing, that money that you're clearing those players aren't necessarily going to be replaced with significantly better players. Uh, I think what you're going to get is you're going to get players that are probably of similar quality for significantly cheaper money. And so the, the advantage of this team next year is you're going to trot out a similarly skilled team, but it's going to be significantly cheaper than what you're doing this season. And I think that's that's what you'll see. So I think the team next year is going to be marginally better from the sense that whoever you draft in the first round, whether it's uh, Alexi Lafreniere, whether it's Quentin Byfield, whether it's Marco Rossi, Tim Stutzel, there's a solid chance that that player is um, in the NHL next year. Because really, of, of those guys, only Stutzel would be able to go to Grand Rapids. The other three would either be NHL really or good. back... Who could? Oh, you didn't say Raymond. I didn't say I, I, I thought you, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. Yeah, yeah. But Lucas Raymond, yeah. Also, obviously, if you took Raymond... He could go to the AHL if you took Alexander Holtz, Anton Lindell. Those guys could go to the AHL. Um, but if it was like Lafreniere, Rossi, or Byfield, those guys would have to go back to the CHL. Not that that should factor into the, the the decision to draft them because being ready next season isn't the thing that the Wings should care about. But ultimately, I think whoever the Wings do draft will be on the roster next year. And so in that respect, I think they'll be marginally better. But I think you're still talking about a bottom two team. Like, look at what Ottawa's point trajectory has been this year. I think they're probably closer to that. They're a little tighter to the pack, but they're still, by and large, one of the the two worst teams in the league. Before this season, uh, I wrote a column about how I thought the Red Wings were going to be a better team that finished worse in the standings. I got exactly half of that statement right. Uh, But I'm going to do it kind of inverse last year. I think the Red Wings are not going to be that much better of a team roster wise but look they're on pace to be historically bad the worst team of the salary cap era i just cannot predict going into a season that that a team is going to be the worst team of a salary cap era so i will say that they will get better and not rise in the standings uh one bit so i guess i'm kind of making a similar uh statement that i did uh, last off season i don't know how much confidence that gives you considering how that went Uh, but i just don't think you can expect a team to be this bad for another season i think they're going to get some pieces back if they can get a healthy DeKaiser, a healthy mantha which are not not givens, uh, but I think those would help a lot. I think you're going to get more at Cider next year. I think you're going to get a full season of Philip Zadina. So I think they're going to be a better team, but I still think they're going to be a last place team. Yeah, and I think that's that's the tricky part because if you're looking at who those guys are going to be stepping in and replacing, um, you know, is Moritz Cider going to be substantially better than what Mike Green was this year? You would hope so. 
Um, but you're probably not going to get the same level of offensive production in Snyder's first full year. So I think what's going to end up happening is you're going to replace a lot of these guys. You're going to get cheaper versions, but I think you're still a year or two or three away from those guys really stepping into into what they need to be and what they're going to become. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think honestly, Mac Jr. are saying the same thing in different ways and that this is still going to be a really, really bad team, but they're going to be closer to the pack simply because you, you're not going to be historically awful again. I actually think Sutter will surpass what Green has done offensively this year. He only has eight points. Well, he's missed a hand. He's missed a lot of time, right? Yeah, so, but he's on. Okay, let's say he's on. His season pace is sixteen. I think Sider can get to twenty points next year. All right, I will. Uh, if if Moritz Sider is up next year, we will we will revisit this conversation. We'll make a little wager on a preseason. Okay, I'm in. All right, absolutely. Uh, okay, next one. This is a good one. Um, could Marco Rossi be an option in the top five if the Red Wings do not land the first pick? I know this is a topic near and dear to your heart. We should probably spend a little more time on it. We absolutely should spend a lot of time on it because I don't know that enough people are talking about how good Marco Rossi is right now. Um, we've brought this up on, on previous podcasts, but, I mean, this guy is literally scoring at a level that's just not been seen in, since Connor McDavid and really before that, Patrick Kane um, in the OHL. I mean, these these guys are all-star players in the NHL. McDavid's arguably the best player, you know, that we've had in, in recent years right up there with Cosby. And and Rossi's keeping pace. He's got 81 points through 37 games. He's just been absolutely dynamite. He can play center. He can play wing. The biggest knock on him is his size at five foot nine. Um, but honestly, like, this is a guy who's just an unbelievable scorer, and, uh, you know, talking to some people who have been doing a little bit more tracking on Rossi, he's just, he absolutely is a play driver um, for his team in the OHL for, for the Ottawa 67. So um, he should easily be a factor once you get beyond two. I think that's where the conversation with Lucas Raymond, uh, Marco Rossi, and Tim Stutzel should start. And I think those are the, honestly, if I was doing this, those would be kind of three, four, and five right there. Um, so yeah, he should absolutely be a part of that conversation. Yep, I I, I agree. You've you've sold me on uh, on Rossi, and certainly I think that uh, you know the fact that he plays center is is going to be a huge draw for him. I'm I'm sure he'll battle the the size argument in in public discourse and maybe in scouting meetings here and there. But at some point, you got to look at what a player's done. Uh, and Rossi's done just about everything you could have wanted him to do. Maybe you'd have liked to see him play at the World Junior B Pool tournament like Mort Sider did last year, or sorry, Division One A Pool. Um, but you know that's about the only knock you could really say about anything in his career, and it's really a, a knock of omission. So uh, Marco Rossi for me should be in that conversation. I think it'll be really interesting, especially uh, if you see a conversation between Rossi, Byfield, and Stutzla emerge. Those are all kind of three different kind of types of players a little bit there for for, for teams to choose from uh, at center. Yeah, I mean, it'll be a really interesting conversation as we get closer and closer to the draft because I think uh, the Memorial Cup will certainly influence people one way or another, and Byfield's going to get limited by the fact that his Sudbury team is not very good. I don't expect them to get you know, very far in the CHL playoffs um, whatsoever. So he may not get a lot of extra game action where a guy like Marco Rossi may um, with the Ottawa 67s and Alexi Lafreniere may get some extra game action. So 
uh, Byfield may lose a little bit of steam there. And I'm going to be curious as we get close to the draft, do, do people start bringing Byfield back to the pack, uh, recognizing that, again, when we're comparing a guy like Rossi uh, to Byfield, Rossi's almost a full year older than Byfield. Rossi's a September 23rd birthday yep. and, and Byfield's middle of August. So we're literally talking about a guy who's almost a full year older uh, than Byfield. So I'm, I'm going to be curious. And then even another guy who's inserting himself into uh, the conversation, although I don't know that he's there yet, is Cole Perfetti, who has been on an unbelievable scoring tier since everybody went to the World Juniors. Perfetti has stayed behind and has been absolutely dominating um, he's also another guy who's in the OHL. He's another guy who can play center. Um, he's, again, a smaller center at 5'10", um, you know, 185 pounds. But he's ahead of Rossi right now at 82 points, albeit he's done it in 46 games compared to Rossi getting 81 and 37. But nonetheless, Perfetti's come on real strong as well. So he's another guy who's going to insert himself in that conversation. And I, I would think Lucas Raymond and Jamie Drysdale have to be right there in that top four conversation too, you know, seldom does the top defenseman in the draft make it out of the top five. Uh, and I think that Lucas Raymond, as he started to kind of produce a little bit more, the good underlying numbers that you have uh, tweeted about, um, I think there's a case for both of those guys. So it could be a pretty pretty compelling top six to seven in this draft this year. I mean, honestly, I think you get all the way out to 12, 13, 14, and there's still guys who are absolute gems like Noel Gundler, who's over in the SHL right now. A lot of people talk Lundell. about Alexander Holtz. Yeah, a lot of people talk about Holtz and, and Raymond, but... Gundler is a guy who's right there with him, and and he hasn't gotten the same press. Uh, and then Lindell missing a lot of time with injury, but he's come on real strong over the last uh, month or so since he's been back from his injuries. So there's just a lot of really talented players in the top 10 to 15 this year. It's a good year to be picking multiple times. So Ottawa, congratulations on that. Yeah, the Senators are going to get way better this summer. Yes. Uh, much to the chagrin of Red Wings fans, I am sure. All right, last one, and then we'll wrap it up. I think this one, uh, you know, maybe a little hard to predict, but but it's been a couple months since we talked about it, so I figured it's time for a check-in. So LGRW asks, of the following players, who do you think will be on the Red Wings roster next year and who will not? Ernie, Perlini, N, Rasmussen, Smith, Svechnikov, Hiroshi, Valeno. That's eight players, I believe. Yeah, that's a... Uh... That's a good question. Um, I think the easy one for me to say who will be on the roster is going to be uh, Michael Rasmussen. I think it's with the way he's looked in Grand Rapids thus far. Uh, I think I'd be I'm hard pressed to imagine that he is not on the team next year. And then I think the guy who's probably next most likely to be on the team is Giovanni Smith. I think he's done pretty well to carve out that bottom. Uh, six role for himself I can easily see him being being on down there beyond that I'm skeptical that any of those guys listed are on the Red Wings roster at the start of next season I think Valeno is probably best suited to play in Grand Rapids at least at the beginning of next year Taro Hirose, again, I, I'm just not sold on, on his IQ at the NHL level, although I would like to see a, a another look at him just because, again, you know, potentially he's readjusted to the speed we talked about. He had never gotten any AHL games before this season, so he's a guy who may have learned a lot and been able to come up and found different ways or techniques to do things. But uh, Svechnikov, uh, as much as... I like him and have liked his game. I just don't see him being a huge part of the future for the Red Wings. He is still, um, 
you know, he's going to be a guy that they're going to have to make a decision on this offseason uh, as well. And I just don't know that he's back either. Particularly, it might be better for him to just be out of the organization to have a different path into the NHL. Um, and I think is a replaceable player, like I've mentioned. And then with the way that Perlini and Ernie have been utilized this year, I, I don't know that the Wings necessarily consider them to be pieces moving forward. Uh, so if I'm labeling who I think, I think it's just Rasmussen and Smith. The fact that Ernie, I, I agree with you at that, at that baseline. Those are the two that I would call close to, if not locks, but the, the safest bets. Uh, Ernie has gotten some top six, well, second line, I guess we should say, time recently it didn't seem to last super long but i wonder if that may be an indication that they're a little happier with his play than um than maybe we would guess by the statistics uh but i agree I, you know i think they i think they'll resign and would be my guess but you know he's a guy who i don't think they would worry too much about waivers with and maybe he's a guy who they bring in and as kind of a to show that in the spot for the third line center, fourth line center, whatever it is for Rasmussen is not going to be uh, just right there for him to, to waltz into. Uh, that seems to be the way that they've operated. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them resign him. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think Rasmussen would be able to beat him out. So at that point, it comes down to how many of the current centers are still in the organization. We're talking about Franz Nielsen, Luke Lindenning. Uh, there's only so many center jobs. So to me, uh, ends a guy who can flex out wide. He makes a lot of sense as a 13th forward. Uh, I'm going to say that he's back. I certainly think they'll re-sign him. Um, but I'm also not certain that he's necessarily in the lineup uh, night in and night out the way that he has been this year. You know who else would be a good 13th forward? Chase Pearson. I think Pearson's still in the mold. They're going to want him to play more than that, though, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to say. I mean, he and N are not super far apart age-wise, development-wise, track-wise. So... We'll see, but I mean, N's a guy you'd have to re-sign if you wanted to keep him, whereas Pearson's under contract for another year. So all that being said, I mean, yeah, you're probably right. N's, N's the guy who is, they're more comfortable sitting up in the press box compared to Chase Pearson, probably. And they've also shown, you know, they, they, they've had him in the lineup. They've called him up. They, I think there's clearly a level of trust that Christopher N has built up. To me, that that probably results in a contract at the end of this year, but I'm not positive. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a reasonable take. All right. Fair enough. Uh, that's everything that stood out to me in, in, in the questions. I mean, we're, we're running up on time here, but anything else you want to talk about before we let everybody go? No, the Wings will be back at the end of the week, so uh, prepare yourselves accordingly. Yep. And that March schedule has not start, or will, will not start quite yet, so you don't have to uh, run and hide in fear of that. But, uh, yep, everything else should be good. We'll be back at you in the middle of this week. Uh, nothing new will have happened, of course, but we'll probably have some new stuff to talk about. Yeah, we'll make some stuff up. <laughs> we always do. Uh, all right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you then.